Well, good morning, everyone. It's good to see you all. Uh, thank you, David and worship team, for leading us in worship. I kind of wish it didn't end, but alas, here we are. Um, currently, we're in the middle of November, and I don't know if you're aware, but that means Christmas is on its way. And so soon there'll be trees and decorations and Christmas music playing everywhere. I love Christmas. I'm really looking forward to it. But uh, for us as a church, uh, we still have two Sundays left before the official start of Advent and the Christmas season. So we're going to have a short uh, two-week mini-sermon series that we're calling uh, The Greatest Commands. I've got a title slide for that. Um, And during these next two weeks, we're going to look at what Jesus says are the first and second greatest commands in Scripture. Now, I want to begin this morning by asking you a question that is similar to the one that we just read. So what would you say are the most important commands that guide you in your life? Or what rules for life or or what foundational beliefs have you built your life upon? For some of us, we might be able to name what these things are, uh, but for others, it might be more internalized. Uh, We've never really taken time to think through exactly what they are. But whether we can name them or not, I think most of us do, in fact, have certain commands or life mottos Um, or foundational beliefs that we've come up with that guide our lives. And this is what is being addressed today. We see someone coming to Jesus and asking this question. Teacher, which is the greatest commandment in the law? Now, of course, the context is 2,000 years ago, and the law that is being referred to are the Jewish laws and commands uh, for the people of Israel. Now, in those days, for the Jewish people, their laws took on a much greater role in their lives than, than our laws today. So our laws today, they're, they're geared towards punishments for wrongdoing, and they teach us mostly what not to do. But in Jesus' time, the Jewish laws and commands taught the people not only what not to do, but it also taught them what to do. The commands taught the Jewish people how to live. It wasn't just about legal punishments for crimes, but their laws taught them what to do and how they should live as the people of God. And actually, I think this is one of the biggest issues in our modern societies. Most of us know what not to do, Our laws and our legal system make that pretty clear. But that's only half of what is required in life. It's only one side of the coin. People need to know not only what not to do, but they also need to know what to do in life. People need to know how and what it means to live a good and fulfilled life. And not only is this a problem for our modern societies, but it's also a problem for us in the church. I think many of us know what not to do as Christians. But how many of us know what 
to do and what it means to practically live out our faith every day as followers of Jesus. And so returning to our passage today, Jesus teaches us what to do and what to do with our lives and what it means for us to live as the people of God. Jesus teaches us what are the greatest commands that should guide and be the foundation for our lives. And as we read, the greatest commands are these. The first is to love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. And the second greatest command is to love your neighbor as yourself. Now this week we're going to focus on that first and greatest command, and then next week, uh, one of our church members, Barry Jung, will be speaking about the second command. But as we start this week, I think it's important to look at the passage as a whole and to notice how both commandments are about love. The greatest commands are that we should love God and love people. Jesus puts love at the forefront of how we are to live. And in fact, a couple of verses later, Jesus says that all the law and the prophets hang on these two commands. And again, for the Jewish people, their laws guided them in all aspects of their lives. So when Jesus says that all the law and the prophets hang on these two commands, Jesus is saying that the entirety of our lives should be rooted in these two commands, to love God and to love people. It's all about love. Life is all about love. The greatest commands, the most important rules for life, and the foundational beliefs that should guide us is to love God and to love people. And one of the things that I love and appreciate about this passage is that these commands, they are simple and clear. They're not easy, but they are simple and clear. And there are times in life where we will, that we'll all go through where life will seem anything but simple and clear. Instead, life will feel complicated and confusing. We won't understand what's going on. We, we don't know what decision to make. We feel lost and we don't know how to move forward. And whenever I have hit those times in my life, I have held on to these two verses and clung to them because amidst all the confusion and uncertainty of life, these two things by the grace of God, I have been certain of. Jesus makes clear what are the greatest commands for me, the priorities for my life. First, God has called me and created me to love him, to love God, to seek him, to worship him, to pray, to follow after him with all my heart, soul, mind, and strength. And secondly, God has called me to love my neighbor, to love people, to serve, to help, to bless those around me. 
And my personal experience has been that as I have sought to obey these two great commands, God has always brought me through those times of confusion and uncertainty. And even when those seasons are long and hard and difficult, when you seek to live a life that is focused on loving God and loving people, there are blessings in the midst of those trials and hard seasons. And as you make loving God and loving people the priorities of your life, God will speak to you. He will guide you. He will faithfully bring you through and carry you to where he wants you to be. And most importantly, if you obey these two two commands, God will transform you and make you into the person that he wants you to be. To be a person of love, to be more like Christ, and to have the character of God in you. And as it says in 1 John, it says, God is love, and whoever lives in love lives in God, and God in them. If we live in love, we will live in God, and God will live in us. So may we live our lives focused on these two great commands to love, to love God and to love people. Now, for the rest of our time, let's focus in on that first and greatest command, which is, again, love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. Now, an obvious question for those of us who want to obey this command is, how do we do this? How do we love God with all our heart, soul, and mind? What does it look like for us to love him? Loving God can seem like just a theoretical or abstract idea. But before we get to the how, I think it's important to establish the why first. Why should we love God? Because if we don't have a compelling why, it doesn't matter if we know the how we won't be motivated to do it. So why should we love God? I think there are many reasons of why we should love God, but for today, we'll just look at two key reasons from scripture for why we should love God. So the first reason why we should love God is because God is our father and we are his children. In the book of Genesis, when God creates the first human beings, it says that God created Adam and Eve in his image and likeness. So as unbelievable as it may sound, in every single human being, there is something of God in us. We are made in his image and likeness. And and we can see a glimpse of how this works when we as human beings have our own children. So I have an older sister and uh, she has two kids, uh, my niece and nephew. And when I look at them, I see so much of my sister and my brother-in-law inside them. 
They, they look like them. And, and the reason for this is because my niece and nephew, they were created in the image and likeness of their parents. There are literally parts of their parents inside them. And it's the same way with us as human beings. We are made in the image of God. We are made different from the rest of creation. There is something of God inside of us. And that is why we are called children of God. And parents and children, they are meant to love one another. For a parent to hate their child means that they're hating themselves because a part of the parent is inside the child. The child is made from and made in the image and likeness of the parent. And so God is our Father in heaven. We are made in his image and likeness. Our Father loves us and we, as his children, should love him in return. It's the way it's supposed to be. That's what a parent and child relationship is supposed to be about. So that's the first reason why we should love God, because God is our Father and we are his children. The second reason why we should love God, and that the scriptures tell us, is because God is our Redeemer. Now, after the first human beings, Adam and Eve, after they're created, they are tempted by Satan, the enemy of God. And Adam and Eve give in to temptation, and they sin by disobeying God's commands. And then because of their sin, human beings lose that intimate face-to-face relationship and fellowship with God, and pain and sickness and death enter our world. But God, as a loving father, he does not abandon his children. And he does not leave human beings to the fate that we chose. Instead, God begins a plan of redemption. And the whole story of scripture, from cover to cover, is about how God is our redeemer. God first chooses a man named Abraham and Sarah, And he says that through them and through their offspring, they would be a blessing to all the peoples on the earth. Abraham's descendants eventually become the nation of Israel. And God calls this nation to reflect God's character, his love, his justice, and to shine as a light to the other nations of the world. However, Israel they fail to live up to this high and holy calling, and we see their kings and their people fail again and again, one after another, as they turn to idols and other gods. Now, I think that one of the misunderstandings that we can have is to see the story of the Bible like most other stories that we see in our culture. We, we might have the misunderstanding that the Bible is a story where there's good people and there's bad people, and there's heroes and then there's villains. And then we become confused when the supposed heroes like Abraham or Moses or David, when they start doing strange or morally questionable or just downright evil things. For example, 
uh, King David, he slept with another man's wife, gets her pregnant, and then he tries to cover up the pregnancy by getting the husband to sleep with his, his own wife. And then when that plan fails, David just gets the husband killed. And then he takes the wife. So that's, that's, that's pretty evil. That's, that's, uh, that's not what we would consider a hero or a good person. And that's why Jesus says in Mark chapter 10, verse 18, Jesus says, no one is good except God alone. There are no human heroes in the Bible. There is only a good God, and then there is all of us, flawed, weak, broken human beings. And the story of Scripture is the story of a good God who continually shows his grace, his kindness, and his mercy to broken and sinful human beings. And so because humanity cannot redeem or rescue ourselves, God himself enters our world in the form of a human being. Jesus, God in the flesh, is born as a child to Jewish parents. And then at the age of 30, Jesus begins his ministry, proclaiming the good news that the kingdom of God is now at hand And Jesus heals the sick, he feeds the poor, and he teaches the people that they should love God and love one another. And then Jesus, in his great love for us, he takes the sins of the world upon himself and experiences death on a cross, paying the price for our sins. And so Jesus redeems us. He sets us free from the power of sin and he offers us a new way of life in which we are forgiven, filled with his spirit, and empowered to live our lives the way we were meant to. Lives of love and goodness and purpose and meaning. And so I wanna ask, have you experienced God as your redeemer? Have you experienced Jesus as the one who redeems your life? And I think one way to tell is whether you can say that you love God or not. Because I don't know how you can truly experience God as your redeemer and not love him. So let me try to illustrate this. Uh, This past week in the news, uh, there were these beautiful scenes coming out of the city of Kherson um, in Ukraine. And the city had been occupied by Russian forces for nine months. And during that time, the citizens, they were terrorized and tortured and beaten and killed. And then finally, this past week, they were finally rescued and set free by their own Ukrainian army. And so right now, I want to show you uh, a short clip of what happened as the soldiers entered the city. So let's play that video right now. Sorry, could we go back with the sound? In the magnitude of this moment.
as soldiers move through these scenes of celebration, they're given a hero's Still sinking in the magnitude of this moment. As soldiers move through these scenes of celebration, they're given a hero's. Feels good, and they are holding on to it tight. Hugely emotional scenes here in the centre of Kherson. Through, they're playing the national anthem, and people. In their eyes for, for coming in here and bringing it back under Ukrainian control. These people have lived under nine months of terrifying occupation. It's easy to understand why they're weeping tears of relief and joy and clinging on to their liberators. All right, some technical difficulties, but I think you get the idea. Uh, I, I don't think it showed, but there was one man who ran up with a cigarette and then he hugged the soldier and started kissing him. So that was, that was pretty funny. Um, so, yeah, just really touching scenes, right? Um, and you can see the, the love that the people have for the soldiers. And uh, really, how could their reaction be anything less? than love and adoration and gratitude. I mean, wouldn't it have been strange if the soldiers came into the city and the people didn't care at all? Or, or what if the people just ignored them and just went about their business as, as usual? We would think, don't you understand what these soldiers have done for you? They rescued you, they redeemed you. They risked their lives for you, and some died for you to be free. And it's the same way with us and Jesus. Jesus rescued us from our enemy, who deceived and enslaved Adam and Eve and all humanity. And Jesus redeemed us and has set us free from the power of sin and death over our lives. And so if we don't love Jesus, if we can't say that we love him, then I would wonder if you have truly experienced God as your redeemer. Because when you personally encounter God, and when you experience him personally, truly as the one who has redeemed and rescued you and set you free, you can't help but to love God. It's just like the clip that we saw. The people can't help but express the love, their love to the soldiers who had rescued them. Now I just wanna take a minute to speak to two types of people who may be listening right now. And the first is to people who have never made a personal decision to accept Jesus as your savior and redeemer. And actually, maybe you have actually grown up in church and you've been coming to church for decades. And unfortunately, just coming to church, it doesn't really mean anything. What matters is whether you have truly surrendered your life to Jesus and committed wholeheartedly to following him. 
to say, God, I have tried to do things my own way, and it's empty. I want to turn from my old life and put my faith and trust in you. And there's no halfway or meeting in the middle in this decision. It's all or nothing. Either you die to your old self and be born again, or you stay in your old life. But the choice is yours. And Jesus never forces people to follow him. It's always an invitation and a call. And in the scriptures, we see the different reactions people have to the call of Jesus. Some people respond to the call and give up everything and follow after him. And others, the cost is too much and they turn from Jesus. They reject his invitation. But Jesus himself, he never rejects anyone and his invitation is a standing invite to any who wish to accept. And Jesus says in Matthew chapter 11, he says, come to me all you who are weary and burdened and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me for I am gentle and humble in heart and you will find rest for your souls. So if you have never made a wholehearted commitment to follow Jesus, you can make that decision today. And if you came with a friend or a family member, just let them know that you want to start following Jesus. Or if you came to church by yourself today, a little later in the service, we're gonna have um, our prayer team here at the front and you can come up and share that you want to start following Jesus and it would be our privilege to pray with you and help you on that journey. The second uh, category of people that I'm thinking of are those who have made a decision to follow Christ in the past and you have experienced the love of God and love for God as your redeemer. But right now, that love has grown cold. You're not as passionate as you used to be. You don't love God as you used to. Um, you're what the scriptures say is, is lukewarm. And God has taken a backseat to some other priorities in your life. And if this is you, I just want to encourage you to not stay in that place. Don't be content with a lukewarm or a half-hearted faith. The greatest command in all of scripture, the most important thing in life, is that we should love God with all our heart, soul, mind, and strength. And so again, if this is you, and you know that love for God is not the first and greatest priority in your life, then make a change and make it the priority of your life. And a good place to start is confession and prayer. Just confess to God that you have been lukewarm, 
that you have not loved him as you ought to, and that your love for him, and that love for him isn't the first and most important thing in your life right now. I have a friend who just did this a couple months ago. Um, for the last couple years, um, yeah, God hasn't been the first priority in his life. And a couple months ago, he was at a prayer and retreat place, and he just confessed to God, and he repented. And now he's in a much better place in his faith, in his walk with God. Confession is a good thing, and it will set you free. And then after you confess, you can be assured that God forgives you, and then you can ask him for help. You can ask God to help you to love him, and you can ask him to teach you what it means and, and to help you to discover how to love him with all your heart. And so this brings us to the last part of the message, the how. Uh, so we talked about why, why we should love God, and so now we can talk about the how. What does it look like for us to, to love God? And one of the key ideas that we find in scripture uh, is this. Love for God equals obedience to his commands. This is one of the key themes that we see throughout the scriptures. So let's just take a look at a few passages. So in Joshua chapter 22, it says, but be very careful to keep the commandment and the law that Moses, the servant of the Lord, gave you to love the Lord your God, to walk in obedience to him, to keep his commands. In John chapter 14, Jesus replied, anyone who loves me will obey my teaching. And then in 1 John chapter five, this is how we know that we love the children of God, by loving God and carrying out his commands. In fact, this is love for God, to keep his commands. So how do we love God? We love God by obeying his commands. Now this might seem at first rather heartless. It, it might seem you know, too transactional. If I love God, then I must obey God but that's not what is going on at all. So when we look um, in Deuteronomy chapter 12, Moses tells the people this. Moses says to them, be careful to obey all these words that I command you. Oh, sorry. Is this Moses? <laughs> I think it's Moses, yeah. <laughs> be careful to obey all these words that I command you that it may go well with you and with your children after you forever when you do what is good and right in the sight of the Lord your God. The reason why we are exhorted to obey God is so that it may go well with us and with our children. And those of you who are parents, uh, when you tell your kids 
uh, to not run in the street or, or you tell them to brush their teeth every day, you know that you're telling them those things for their own good. It's good to not be hit by a car and it's good not to have rotting teeth. And it's the same way for God and his commands to us. They are for our good. And just as we would love to have kids that obey us because they love us, we also should obey God because of our love and our trust in him. God's commands are good and they lead to life. And the scriptures make it clear to us, if we love God, we will obey his commands. And of course, if we want to obey God's commands, we need to first know what his commands are. And if we want to know what his commands are, we need to be in his word, the scriptures. And so whether it's reading the Bible yourself or, or using a daily devotional or listening to sermons or podcasts online, it is vital that we have some kind of regular practice where we are learning and thinking about and seeking to obey and apply God's word in our lives. Now, everyone is different, and we all learn in different ways, and, and even in different seasons of life, you might need different things. So for instance, when I first started to grow in my faith as a teenager, I really struggled with reading the Bible because I just couldn't make sense of it. And so for me, instead of reading the Bible, I just devoured like sermons. And I'm talking about like listening to four to five sermons like every day. And then over time, as I started to understand, you know, the general kind of um, uh, like story of the Bible, then I could start to uh, read the Bible on my own and it actually started to make sense. So everyone is different and, and depending on the season you're in, you might need different things. Uh, but the main thing is just to start somewhere. Try listening to a sermon um, or, or try reading a book or, or a daily devotional. And the key thing is that whatever you choose to do, after hearing and thinking about God's word, the key thing is to ask God to teach you and to show you how you can obey and practically live out what you're reading about what, and practically live out his commands. Now the last thing I wanna talk about today is to sort of complete uh, the thought equation that, that we just saw a couple minutes ago. So we saw that love for God equals obedience to his commands. And we saw through various scriptures the clear connection between these two ideas. But then Jesus, he takes it a step further and he adds on to this thought process. So in John chapter five, verses 10 to 12, Jesus says, if you keep my commands, you will remain in my love just as I have kept my father's commands and remain in his love. 
I have told you this so that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be complete. My command is this, love each other as I have loved you. And then just a couple verses later, Jesus repeats himself and he emphasizes again, this is my command, love each other. And so much of Jesus' teaching are about how we are to love one another. We are to forgive out of love for one another. We are to feed the hungry and the poor out of love for one another. In fact, Jesus even teaches us to love our enemies because our enemies are not really our enemies. They are human beings made in the image of God and we are created to love one another. And so going back to our little thought equation, love for God equals obedience to his commands and Jesus' command is that we have love for one another. And then if you take out the middle portion, uh, what we get is that love for God equals love for one another. And these two ideas just happen to make up the first and second greatest commands. Love for God and love for people. And this is actually why Jesus doesn't allow these two things to be separated. The question that was asked of him actually was only about the first and greatest command. They didn't ask what was the second, only the first. But Jesus replies by not only giving the first and greatest command, but he makes sure to include the second greatest command which is to love your neighbor or to love people. And so what does it look like to love God? How do we love God? Well, according to Jesus, we love God by loving one another because this has always been God's desire for us as his children that we should love one another. So let me close by just asking a couple questions. What is one thing that you could do in response and in obedience to these two great commands? What is something that the Holy Spirit may be bringing to your mind? Maybe the Spirit is speaking to you about getting into Scripture more. Or, or maybe setting and establishing a daily prayer time. Or maybe the Holy Spirit is bringing to mind a person that you could love by serving them or helping them in some practical way. Or maybe God is speaking to you about reconciling with someone, uh, making peace and mending a relationship. If we love God, we will obey his commands and obedience requires action. It requires a response.
And so if you hear and sense the Spirit stirring something inside of you, don't ignore it and don't quench the Spirit. May we all hear and obey God's commands, for He is good and His commands lead to life.